Kane is in the building. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. We are the podcast that's dedicated to helping people find strong in all facets of their life. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed today's show. Hey everyone, right. welcome to the Finding Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Gates, sitting here with Mark Bottenhorn and Michael Benvenuto. Hey everyone. Hey, how's it going everybody? Perfect pronunciation on that, Pat. Fantastic. I'm, I'm, you, I'm basically Italian. <laughs> it means welcome in Italian, so welcome to the podcast, everyone. Yeah, I speak, I speak the third best Italian on the podcast. <laughs> you don't speak any Italian. Yeah, that's why I said third best. <laughs> All right. All right. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, on this episode, it's it's pretty interesting. This morning, I got really excited because I thought this was our 23rd um, our twenty third episode. So, it was like our Jordan episode, but it's not. It's the 22nd. So, <laughs> on the 22nd episode of the podcast, we're just going to be talking a little bit of uh, essentially the way to build the best athlete. Um, so, the, the coaching perspectives around it. And everything like that, and Michael is somebody you know. We've teamed up to uh, to kind of sharpen some of his uh, running skills and things like that. So this it, it will be a lot of insight having him on this podcast as well. Awesome! Looking forward to answering questions and talking it all out. Yeah, and before we get into uh, before we get into that podcast, I you know just recently got back from New York City and the marathon. Well, actually, I just got back from Austin, actually, as we speak, but. You know, a couple of days prior to that, I just got back to New York City, and the New York City Marathon absolutely uh, just blew blew everything I've ever been to out of the water. It, it was incredible. And Michael, I've known you you've run this race before, and uh, so so you know the atmosphere there. Oh yeah, I think you know. To me, I've run seven marathons in a couple different cities, but from the expo that happens at the Javits Center, which is so freaking huge, um, I, I can't imagine a, a marathon expo being bigger. Um, and Mark, you getting to work at the behind the scenes of that must have been wild, hanging out with all those people, uh, seeing all the pros coming through. Yeah, I mean everything went everything went perfectly from from our standpoint, from a New Balance standpoint. We uh, we did really well being title sponsor of the race again. Um, and you know the the expo, it was like New Balance effectively built a store inside the expo, and it wasn't like your ten by ten or twenty by ten booth. I mean, this was. Like oh. the size of yeah. a, almost the size of a Dick Sporting Goods alone. Like, yeah, so. it's huge. It's absolutely massive. And then the race itself. Um, I don't. Where were where were you guys set up? Where was the New Balance area during the race? Oh, so so during the race, we were at mile sixteen. It was uh, we had a VIP party where we rented out uh, this two story pub called Treadwell, uh, Treadwell Park, and it was really cool because you could watch the race from the balcony, or you could you could. Uh, drink down below and just had a limited food, a limited drink uh, that made a bunch of cocktails for us. Like we bought, it was a, it was a private party. So new balance bought the, the bar itself for the day. And um, all the staff were wearing new balance shoes and 
New Balance shirts. It was really cool. That's awesome. And you said that was at mile 16? Yeah, it was mile 16 right after they come off the bridge. Yeah, that's a great spot. Great spot. It was. It was It was super hype. And then New Balance, they bought. They hired this band. Uh, so this, this like, full-on, like, full-size band was playing. They were playing, like, awesome music. They were all decked out in New Balance lifestyle gear. It was, it was so sweet. Like, I'm confused for this company. It was just so much fun. Did you, That's uh, awesome, man. Did you meet like any of like the the runners or anything, or anyone participating in the in the race? Like, did I meet any any runners? Yeah, like the, Thou- like the thousands like of the them. Top, like the top, <laughs> like the top, like uh, like the top five runners or anything. Oh. Did you did you find yourself fangirling at all? No, not too much. I was I was running uh, in Central Park one of the days, and uh, I saw a few of. Uh, I saw Steven Sambu, who's like obviously a former world record holder. He's he was tremendous. Uh, saw him, you know, doing a shakeout run in the park. He raced. I think he came in tenth. Um, and then I saw uh, Kipchoge, Elliot Kipchoge. He, but he isn't racing. Um, he was there um, just as part of the event. Um, but I saw him just standing on a street corner. So I went over and talked to him and got a picture with him. He was a really nice guy, really gentle, caring human being, and he took a lot of time to talk to us and was, was happy to talk to us. You know, so it's, it's pretty crazy. Wow. That's a heck of a New York marathon weekend, man. That sounds pretty special. Yeah, for sure. And it was, it was exhausting and exhilarating, but yeah. I got sick. Uh, a few of my coworkers got sick as well. So the, the plane trip back was not fun. Um, when we were landing, like this weird thing happened where my ear popped. Like I know they usually pop, but like my, my left ear popped, like my, I was already congested. My left ear popped and I couldn't hear out of my eardrum. So I just like huh. regained hearing back. It's been it's been. Yeah, I felt I felt like you were in New York for like three weeks. It felt that, to me like I was in New York for three weeks. That's for that, sure. That's what visiting New York does to you. You could pack so much in while you're there. It feels like you've been there forever. Um, yeah, yeah, it Pat, ages you. It ages you. Pat, are um, you surprised to hear Mark said he didn't feel good uh, after the marathon, hearing all the free drinks and cocktails he was just talking about? Uh, Maybe that had something to do with it. No, I. I want you guys to know, I think, you know, like we basically in our job pretty much have like unlimited drinks if we want them at any time. Um, and I drank, I drank a total of three. I didn't even drink at the marathon watch party. I was already sick, um, but I drank a total of two drinks the whole time in New York City, actually. So that's great. all right. Well, I had good for you. Two beers. <laughs> I got sick from a virus. There you go. No. All right. So it was real. All right, Pat. It was it real. Was he real, said it was oh, real. It was we better real trust illness. him. It was real. <laughs> uh, well, very cool. Sounds like an awesome New York Marathon weekend. And, and for anybody who has never gone to New York for that race, it's an awesome race to check out as a spectator. And if you could ever get a chance to run it, it's an incredible race to run because you're going through the whole city. Um, it's, it's my favorite personally. So uh, glad you had a great time there, Mark. Yeah, it fired me up. But um, and then I do want to say I'm gonna shout out to a few athletes that I had, uh, who ran the race. You know, Ashley and Sam, uh, both came down from upstate New York and ran the race. Uh, my athlete Robert, uh, came down and, and ran the race. Uh, athlete Ray came down and ran the race. Um, and then all the way from all the way from Texas, uh, all the way from the uh, the Republic of Texas, which is the the most impressive part, Richard came up and uh, he ran 259. He finally broke that three-hour mark. So it's been such a fun journey coaching him. 
Um, everybody killed it. Everybody exceeded expectations. It was it was an outstanding race, and and actually raised a bunch of money for the American Heart Association along the way. So I am tremendously proud of them. Wow, yeah, that's, that's awesome. incredible that he broke three hours in New York. That's such a tough course. That it just uh, must speak to the training that he did before. That's incredible. Yes, yes, we'll talk about that soon. But I I do feel like that's about a two fifty four on a normal course somewhere else. So I, I believe it. But all right, yeah, let's uh, let's without further ado, let's dive into this episode and see what what it takes to create, you know, a true athlete. Yeah, I know. Like, I know we we all probably have like our own opinions on, you know, what is like the perfect athlete and like what to like, what kind of drives an athlete. But kind of like get like like uh, Michael's opinion on it since he is coached by you you know getting your uh like professional coaching opinion on what kind of what drives that and hopefully our viewer our listeners can like kind of find something that they that caters to themselves as well yeah i think so i mean well first and foremost i've been you know coaching this team that i'm coaching uh this is going to you know pretty soon we're about a month away from going on the fourth year of it um and i've fallen into this kind of niche of you know working with um people who want to be more well-rounded athletes versus people who are just all-out runners like i a lot of times i coach triathletes um and obstacle course racers as well um so it's a lot of fun for me on, on that on that aspect um, it's something that's really important to me so it's really cool that i get to do that a lot oh for sure so so i guess the first question i'll ask is like um, do you like have anything specific in mind when someone wants to be coached by you? Yeah, I mean, I do right now. I'm, I'm lucky enough to be in a place where I can really only take on athletes that excite me. Um, and it's not a specific thing. Like I'm not looking for necessarily a, a 5k runner who, you know, there are certain time stands, like they got to break 15 in the 5k or something like that. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not looking for a specific distances, specific sports, anything like that. I'm just really like looking for um, exciting challenges and things like that. But I do uh, tend to gravitate towards athletes who have like really fun backstories, who are really driven people. Um, and when I'm speaking with them, you know, first and foremost, I want to make sure that I'm a good fit for them. So like when we have these initial conversations, like the big thing is, I just want to make sure, in, in honesty, I'm a good fit for, for them, and, and that's the first thing. And, and if so, are they a good fit for me? Um, because I think life's too short to be to, to coach somebody who's who is miserable, right? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so that's my philosophy on that. Like nothing disqualifies somebody, but um, typically like the stories that are unique are the things that really gravitate towards me. Definitely. Okay, so Michael, what, what, what do you, uh, so you've been working with Mark, um, how long now? About two years? Yeah. A little bit more than two years now, I think. Or maybe we're going on two years. I don't know. It feels like I've known Mark for a really long time. Yeah, he does that. <laughs> yeah, we've been working together for uh, for quite a while. And um, yeah, it was. we definitely went through that vetting process. I think we talked a little bit about it last week on the podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, him wanting to make sure that I was going to be journaling and just getting a good sense of my athletic background, um, what I was doing currently. Uh, I mean, we talked about things like diet, uh, nutrition, uh, what supplements, um, equipment, gear, all that kind of stuff. Um, what kind of access to gym equipment I had. Uh, yeah, I remember he would, he had asked specifically like, is there a TRX setup available to you? 
So there were, there were a lot of specifics, but, um, you know, it was all just part of that getting to know each other process. And it also spoke to how professional uh, and how serious Mark took the coaching process. Oh, for sure. You know, the funny, the funny part is that I didn't, um, I never even prescribed you like one TRX workout the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was such a glaring specific question on the forum too. And we never even touched it, but it's all good. <laughs> there in case we needed it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, um, you know, it, it does feel like uh, we've known each other for a long time and I've been coaching for a long time. Um, you know, I feel like time seems to slow down when I coach people or I'm in their life because I think I'm, I annoy them and I'm very pesky. So, you know, one month feels like 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've known you like, like 16 years and it's been about 40. (laughs) Well, I think it's about 18 years now. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well, there's also that part of the coach athlete relationship where, you're communicating all the time. Like you, it's, it's a daily process and it's all part of creating that discipline um, and feeding that drive to accomplish whatever your goals are. So, I mean, the contact is, is daily. It feels like you're, you're in a relationship. You know, my wife used to joke that uh, she was dating me, but I was also dating Mark at the same time because uh, we, we were talking all the time. So it's, it's a really special thing that, that coach athlete relationship. Yeah, I think it is. And I think that's really important. I was, I ruffled some feathers the other day. Um, I made some type of post. um, And I said, if your coach just gives you a plan for a month at a time and just leaves it, you should fire them. And if your coach uh, makes you wait once a week or limits the amount of time that you can contact them, you should fire them. And I had a few people that messaged me and they're like, you know, I didn't know what what was bothering them about it, but you know, they're coaches and they have this contact period where they can like one once a week email follow up or something like that. And they're like, well, I don't have time to be talking to all my athletes. And I'm like, well, maybe you have too many athletes or maybe you shouldn't be coaching because you're charging people their hard earned money. And um, not only that, but you're, you're both really invested in, in something. And I hope it's the well being of the athlete and the success of the athlete. Um, and I don't see how you could get that done with a one email a week. And that, that really pissed them off. And uh, two of them blocked me. Well, that's fine. Well, hey. I agree. I mean, I agree. I agree with you there. I mean, it's the same thing like in our professional lives or whatever, too. Like we can't just um, send out one email a week to to the team that we're that we're on like, and saying like, this is what I did for the week. And like people are going to ask you throughout the day, like, all right, well, what else are you doing? You know, it's like you have to be involved. Yeah. Could you imagine if you went to your boss and said, OK, I'll be available uh, for correspondence between 6 and 9 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday and 12 and 3 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. That would not fly. And I get that it's not a full-time job, um, but for me it's a, it's a second full-time job, and um, I do a good job of, of balancing the two, I think. It's something that's taken a lot of time to learn, but I feel like you're shortchanging an athlete if you don't for sure. do what at any time. Oh, for sure. Do you, do you think that that's a result, Mark, of coaches taking on too many athletes and, and not being able to have that – one-on-one type relationship has that been something you've been mindful of in how many athletes you take on or coach at a given time yeah i i always limit the amount of athletes that i coach um luckily like i end up in hotels a lot of nights of the week for work or whatever it is um and much past working hours i'm able to to sit and work on plans and 
answer questions, things like that. I spend a lot of time driving, so I can take a lot of phone calls, you know, Bluetooth. Uh, so, but yeah, and I still limit the amount of athletes I take. I, there's, there's one lady uh, in particular, and I'm not going to mention her name, obviously, but she is a coach, and I coach four of her former athletes that don't even know each other. And they also the same thing. She would just give them, and, I, and I've seen the training plans that she gave them. She would, it would just be like a month at a time, and she would, and this will, this will actually like be a good bridge into what we wanted to talk about. But she would uh, just give them all their runs for a month ahead of time, like in a calendar, like an actual calendar format. And then she would give them workouts, and and the workouts would be like really high rep, uh, low weight, so they could, so they could lose weight and tone up uh, to be fit. Um, and so there was a myriad of things with that for one, because obviously one is you can't tone up and that's based in pseudoscience. Uh, two, high and low, low weight are very ineffective for endurance athletes. Um, especially, you know, if you're running the five case of the marathon in particular, or even like hilly longer trail races, like you're going to want to generate power. So um, lower rep range type one, a muscle fiber, and you know, that's what you're looking to train. So that's, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of what she was talking about Two, like people work full time. They, they have kids, they have hobbies, they have a boyfriend, a girlfriend, fiance, husband, wife, uh, whatever it may be. And a month's plan just doesn't work for anybody. Like, I mean, how many times have we had to adjust things in your training plan within the week, within three days, you know? Um, oh, so that's yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you're definitely right on, Mark. Uh, to just be given a schedule for a month, I, I don't know. You might as well just do what I was doing before, which is printing off a 16-week schedule off runnersworld.com. I mean, so, yeah, I got I got your back. That that contact, that relationship with your coach, it, it needs to be uh, real tight communication. I, I agree with you there. And the, and the training needs to be fluid and flexible and built for, and built for long-term sustainability. Um, so, yeah, and then, and then she has the audacity to, to charge $125 a month to these athletes for that. And, and two of the training plans from two different people that don't even know each other that they sent to me were exactly the same. So oh. that is infuriating for me because she's just like in these cookie cutter, like plug and play type of things. And while some people might improve from it just from having the structure itself, she's doing the people in general a large disservice. Wow. Well, that's definitely good, good things for people to look out for when selecting a coach that you have that ability to have a lot of contact. So that's something to look out for. Yeah. Yeah. And in the way, in the way that the training is structured is all wrong. So like, I, I see this a lot is people at the, like a lot of athletes that, that, that come to me aren't looking necessarily to go to Olympic trials or something like that. They're looking to be well-rounded and better runners. Maybe they're trying to break 16 in the five game. Maybe they're trying to break 17, you know, maybe a, a, a woman's trying to break 19. And so they like to be well-rounded and work out. And a lot of their previous coaches had them on these like bodybuilding splits. Um, and I have a background in bodybuilding, but they have them on these bodybuilding splits that are just completely ineffective. For sure. So, so, so what do you, so what do you saying that with a well-rounded athlete, what do you think is necessary and unnecessary for someone to become a well-rounded athlete? Yeah, so that's a, that's a good question. Um, I think, um, like you said, athleticism, the, the, the definition is different to most people, but I think um, to be a well-rounded athlete, you're looking for first and foremost longevity, right? Yeah. Um, you, you do what you love, presumably, and you want to be doing it when you're 50 and when you're 60 and when you're 70 and, and 80, and some of my athletes are 50 and 60. <laughs> so, 
so longevity is, is, is key. So you're, you're looking to do other things just besides run and run them into the ground. Um, you know, I think of somebody who's a well-rounded athlete is they're good in the cardiovascular realm, um, but also they have enough strength to be sustainable and functional and resilient to injury. Um, so I think that's, that's how I would define it. All right. Perfect. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I go to try to go to the gym and like try to do things necessary that I'm not going to like just feel burnt out or like, I feel like I'm going to kill myself. by like trying to like achieve some unrealistic goal. You have to I always have to have like a goal set or something in mind that I know I want to achieve. And, um, so like going off that, like, what do you like, how do you really exactly find time to like set up all these like different kinds of coachings to, for these, for these athletes to, to be well-rounded? Um, well, I mean, we have, a, we all have a finite amount of time in our lives. Right. And, uh, ideally you spend time doing what you're passionate about. Um, I'm really passionate about, I guess, two things and more than my, I think sometimes, honestly, the honest answer is sometimes my own training you know, struggles. But uh, a big thing is, you know, I, I prioritize that. I block out times of the day where I'm not busy with my own, like my career, and I'm not busy with my family. Um, and sometimes it cuts into my training time, but I'd rather cut into my training time than, and then be a disservice to the athletes. Because honestly, I love coaching more than I love racing and competing. So um, I just, with you, if you, if you want to do something bad enough and you love something, you'll find a way. And it's just being smart with, um, with what I'm doing and how I'm spending my free time. Like I won't be, you know, watching as much Netflix or I won't be watching uh, movies. I haven't watched a movie in like an actual movie. I don't know. Yeah. I'm Maybe, the same I way. The, I, think the, I think the last one was probably wedding crashers with, with me and Dan on like Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, that was, yeah. that's, that's really funny. You say that Mark, you know, when I was, when I was running the Jersey marathon and we're in that three hour pace group in the beginning, Somebody said like, oh, let's let's talk about something to pass the time. Does anybody watch this show or that show? And I just yelled out, I haven't watched anything. All I do is train. All I do is live, eat, sleep, train. I don't know where you'd find the time <laughs> to have uh, <laughs> uh, to, to watch new movies and new TV shows. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, like you said, you got to find the time. If you want to accomplish something or do anything, you've, you've got to find the time. It's there in your day. You just have to make sacrifices somewhere else and um, you know, for you, Mark, talking about you've got your work responsibilities, your, your responsibilities with your family, your own training, but you carve out that time for your athletes, which is a really special thing and is what makes you so special. Thank you. I think um, like every athlete, Michael included, have obviously a, a certain amount of time that they can train per week and a max amount of time. Um, like most athletes recreationally aren't going to probably train more than 10 or 12 hours a week. Uh, most elite athletes probably are going to train more than 25 hours a week, elite, you know, professional athletes. Um, so at, uh, beyond those times, like there's a lot of negative returns, things like that. Um, and, and so like Michael has other responsibilities, like, like we know, like you have a, you have a brand new, you know, kind of, kind of marriage there and everything like that. So uh, another thing I do is like, obviously I'm, I try to be conscious of that and, and try to pack in the most I can and write the most effective training because, I'm writing the training and I'm like, yeah, I had to be, I had to budget this time to do this. So I know that these people are just as busy as well. So that's really yeah. important. Yeah. And that's what I thought was so great about your training style was that I went from doing these runs based off the runner's world schedule where it's just like, you know, go on and do 10 miles or go on and do 12. Whereas you structured runs more about speed and power 
to help build up for those bigger, longer runs. It was just a really different way of training where you'd have an easy run day, you know, a day where you'd have a run with some pickups in there, um, you know, a speed day where you'd have some tempo, uh, another easy day, some pickups, and then a long distance run. So the way that you mix the training, I thought was really unique. And uh, I know that there was some methodology behind that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to work with some of the best coaches um, in the industry, like myself as an athlete, like I, I worked with, you know, coaches that are that, that coach the best athletes in the world. So I picked up a lot from that, like a lot of practical application alongside of the education. But, you know, it, it varies, you know, for the person like that was ideal for you. But I have some athletes who are doing three speed sessions, you know, well, like a power endurance, two speed sessions and a couple easy runs a week. And I have some athletes that are running 95 miles a week. And I have some athletes that are running uh, 30 miles a week. And it's all very individual to the athlete. And that's another reason why some cookie cutter program is not going to cut it. Um, so yeah. So for you, that's what, that's what worked. And it took time to dial it in, as we said before. Uh, but once we dial it in, it was really effective. Um, and you know, I've been faced with, and this is kind of out of the blue, but I, I realized at some point that I was going to die in the future. Right. And uh, so this is going back to the original question. And when I realized that, I thought, man, I don't want to die, but I can't live forever. So the best thing I can do is, is, is to leave a legacy um, or some kind of impact. And, and I think that running through the woods or running on the roads is really cool and really fun. Um, but it's not going to leave the, the, the legacy or impact on people I want to and, and do a really positive thing. So I think like the coaching and the content that I put out are, are the way of me leaving that legacy and impact. So that's why it's my primary focus when it comes to my own training versus others. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, that's, that's like the best, that's the best part. It's like most fulfilling or rewarding thing is helping people achieve their goals too. And, and by them doing that, you're also achieving your goals. Yes. It, it works better. And my own coach is probably pissed off sometimes where I'm like, you know, I was supposed to run 80, 88 miles this week and I ran 62. But uh, part of it was because, you know, I was traveling. Part of it was because I was sick. And part of it was just because I had coaching to get done. And I'm okay with that. I'm okay knowing that I will never fully, probably, truly reach my potential because I'm helping hundreds, you know, over the grand scheme of things, hundreds, if not thousands of people reach their potential. And that means a lot more. Definitely. Just, I'm being selfish because it's just more fun. <laughs> That's that's an incredible definition of selfish. <laughs> yeah, so we had some we had some user questions. Pat, did you get those questions? I think yeah, I did. I guess that's, that's right. some of those. I'm kind of uh, so I'm gonna ask this one first, just because like it's kind of what I've been doing the last like you know 15 weeks ish since like I haven't been running. So like, what are your thoughts on like weight training? Yeah. So this is this is a good one. I think that weight training is really effective. So in, so if we're looking at, we'll just talk about the, the runners that I coach. Okay. So if we're looking at, you know, they want to run the marathon, the ultra marathon, what do they need to lift weights for? Well, a, a few things, like obviously you want to be able to, to, to generate power and velocity. So uh, training fast twitch muscle fibers is important. Uh, training slow twitch muscle fibers is important outside of running. But the bottom line is the more mileage, the better. Um, the problem is that, a lot of mileage is good until it's not for people and not everybody can run 130 miles a week or 110 miles a week or even 90 or 80 miles a week. Um, so adding in strength training as a supplementation will make them a more resilient and injury free runner. Um, it will make them stronger. Ideally would improve 
the amount of lean body mass they have, which generates more metabolic output, essentially, and controls your metabolism. So the leaner you are, the more fat you burn. Um, all those things are, are really important. And you can say, like, runners become too bulky, and then they, it, it's harder to power the muscle because you need that, mu- you know, that capillary density. And the more muscle you have, the more capillary density you need. And, and that's true, but I don't think it offsets or outweighs not weight training. So I think for the general runner, and, and I'm not talking about the 130 mile a week, 130 pound, uh, you know, Olympic hopeful. I'm talking about the the everyday athlete who wants to do this for a long time. And, and Mark, there's a big difference in terms of weight training, um, creating functional strength, and then creating show muscles because. Uh, I think we found out when we started looking at my weight training regimen, I was just uh, working the stuff that would look good in an Instagram photo rather than something that was actually helping my functional strength. So you want to talk a little yeah. about that? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. That's great. Uh, I think that obviously, um, you know, you got a certain amount of time. So this comes back to time. So is your time better spent? Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with wanting to be confident in the way you look. Like a lot of people draw confidence from that, myself included. Um, but there's a way to do it functionally. I think that just doing biceps curl after biceps curl is only good if you want to go do a bodybuilding show. Um, but it, what's going to be the better bang for your buck, a biceps curl, or are you going to do deadlifts? And I think the deadlifts are the better bang for your buck because they turn your whole posterior chain and they're going to turn your biceps as well. Um, you know, just, just naturally. So I think stuff like that, I mean, there, there is, there's a difference. Like I don't think that bench pressing is, is very effective. I don't even think it's effective from like football players do it. I don't think, what does it, what does it help you do? help you push players off of you when they're on top of you in a pile. I don't, it makes no sense to me. Like, I feel like weighted dips would be far more effective, um, you know, body weight stuff in that sense. Uh, so things that are going to help you propel yourself forward, things that are going to help you uh, climb and, you know, for obstacle course racers and, and, and do things better. I don't, so like, I don't think that biceps curls or concentration curls or any of those, like those bro workouts are going to be an effective use of your time when, when time is finite. Now, if you have all day to do it, then do it you want not going to be helping you know if you if you add those big compound lifts in those are going to be the most effective way yeah i mean but the, just to me though like just like just doing concentration bicep curls is just boring yeah, yeah i mean yeah but you yeah. look great afterwards yeah <laughs> yeah yeah you do you do but like i don't know i i do i do a lot of things that like you know try to you know excite me so like running, doing obstacle courses, like playing soccer, all of those things are like exciting and fast and like just to sit still and do that. It's just, I don't know, teach their own, teach their own. Yeah. 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 And I think you do look great after doing them, but, um, the diet plays a larger role in it. But I, but I think if you, um, instead of doing a, a four, you know, four arm circuit or tricep, bicep, supersets, like if you did a circuit workout, um, three times a week and you did deadlift squat, um, maybe like an overhead press, uh, some dips and pull-ups, you're still going to, like, I still think it's going to, it's going to impact the way you look positively. Um, but it's oh, going to be a lot more functional and useful too. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and, and sorry, go ahead. No, I was just saying, yeah, I was just agreeing with myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you have that buy-in from yourself on that, Mark. That's great. <laughs> And like, uh, kind of like the the other thing that kind of it, it's a, it, it they equal each other, right? Like the diet. So, what do you think about like the best like diet for someone who just like a, a well-rounded athlete? Is it vegan or just a regular general diet? Yeah, 
So I've said this before, I would avoid the standard American diet at all costs. Um, standard American diet, the acronym for it is SAD. Uh, I don't think you want to eat that diet. It's, it's bad. Um, but I wouldn't, you know, if you look at there, there have been mass studies piled together. If, if you, if you look at, um, cultures and, or if you just look at endurance athletes in general or elite athletes in general, they by and large don't cut out whole food groups and macronutrient groups for their diet. So anytime you see somebody eating like this all fat diet, or anytime you see somebody eating like an all fruit diet, um, there are outliers within professional athletes, but by and large, it's not going to be, I think that just a well-rounded diet is probably the best. Um, I tend to eat a primarily plant focused or plant heavy diet. Um, I do occasionally consume eggs, pasture raised eggs. I like the ones with the, the, the yolks are orange versus like the yellow, like processed, like type ones you buy, uh, you know, grain fed prep. Um, and I, I don't, you know, I, I mostly eat as a vegan. I would never tell anybody else that they should or need to do that. Um, I'm not qualified to say that either, but I think the diet is really important. I think you should make good choices most of the time. And I think that will take a lot of people really far. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, and like you said, there's been a lot of studies done all around the world about what creates the best diet. And there's that blue zone theory where they looked at all the world's centenarians that had the largest population of people living beyond 100. And they all had similar things in common that they, they ate rice, beans, and had their own garden where they were getting fresh vegetables from that uh, in addition to protein. So just making smart decisions to me uh, is sort of the easy way to talk about a running diet or how to be an athlete and have a good diet, you know, get your greens, get your good grains in, have a good balanced diet. Um, in any direction, whether it's you think you need to do vegan or this or that, um, whatever works best for you. But um, yeah, just making smart decisions. It's can be hard, but uh, also there's a lot more options out there to make healthier choices. Yeah. There's yeah. more education now than, than ever before. I think that, um, you know, the, the blue zone diet is, I think that's, that's right on. You hit it, you hit it right there perfectly. Really didn't matter what their, what their protein intake was. If they had those staples in their diet, that they found pretty much right. So yeah. um, one thing that I would, I would say this is, is like, if you're looking at endurance sports, um, you know, you, you think mostly like 50 to up to 80% of your calories, well, 50 to 70% of your calories are probably going to come from carbohydrates typically. Um, you know, like good sources of protein or a good option, what you think are good sources of protein is maybe individual enough to you. Um, and then I think that uh, there's this big fat craze, but I think, you know, fat is necessary for hormone production. Uh, and things like that, testosterone and free testosterone levels. But I think that fat by and large is, is not extremely necessary. I think 20 to 25% of your, you know, calorie content from fat or even up to 30% is, is okay. Uh, but it, this, this eating 60% fat or 80% fat is just, to me, is completely preposterous. Yeah, that's, that's insane. That's like, I don't know. That's the, to me, this is like, uh, it just seems like it's just excessive. Yeah, it is. And then another thing is like, this is going to be kind of polarizing, but intermittent fasting is a, is a big thing. Um, a lot of people in the, in the endurance communities are susceptible because what this thing like thinner is better. They're susceptible to eating disorders or disordered eating. And I think that intermittent fasting is kind of producing just, um, for a lot of people, it's just an excuse to starve yourself. Um, and it'd be socially acceptable. And, and a lot of people do intermittent fast and they have good success with it. I would never tell one of my athletes to intermittent fast. I would never tell them to do anything nutritionally, but especially that I would advise strongly against that. 
um, just because I think the the door is open for, for eating, you know, bad relationships with food. Yeah, because, yeah, you can have that mindset. I mean, I've, I mean, I know I've done it before where I've intermittent fasted for, you know, 16 hours and I have that eight-hour window or whatever. We're like, well, I have eight hours. I just, I just didn't eat for 16 hours. I can jam fucking pizza in my face. Yeah. I mean, like, even though I'll do that anyway, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I, but, but you may have a different experience than somebody else. Like other people might have a little right, bit more exactly. with food where there's a lot of guilt associated with it when they, um, but you know, when I was a bodybuilder, I, every hour and a half on the hour and a half and I would get kind of heavy and I would get kind of shredded, um, at different times. And like, it, so it would just be a proportion to the amount of calories I ate. But I mean, I got down to probably, you know, under 6% body fat for competitions, obviously. And I didn't eat, I, I ate less, but I didn't, you know, make this only a small window when I can eat it. So like, you know, and then I've eaten a vegan diet where I've been really shredded. And I've eaten a vegan diet where I've been a little bit fluffier than I wanted to be. And so I think that a lot of it just comes into calories in versus calories out. I mean, calorie, calorie quality is important for your, your overall health. But um, in terms of appearance, like, I don't think like intermittent fasting is anything special. Yeah. And our, our bodies are so finely tuned already. I mean, you're talking out of the box. I mean, how many studies have been done that uh, we know when we're hungry and when you, when you're hungry, you should eat same thing with, you know, hydrating during training, um, you know, to say, Oh, I need to drink a liter of water before I go run. It's your body knows when it's thirsty, it, it tells you and you drink some water. Um, yeah. It's, it's just, I think people overthink the diet component too much. And especially if you're practicing endurance sports, it's easy to follow an 80, 20 type rule where like Pat's saying, um, you know, you eat healthy 80% of the time, but 20% of the time, you know, shoot, we're out there running, putting in miles every week. We deserve to have that big cheeseburger or a big, large pizza or a bunch of ice cream. I mean, that's just, part of part of being alive <laughs> and enjoying sure. life sure. you can't it can't all be suffering no food is an important cultural aspect and i think that like a lot of times people say what's your favorite like cheat meal after a race i'm like i don't have a cheat meal like if i want something within moderation i will eat it knowing that 90 percent of the time or 80 percent of the time i'm going to do my very best to make good decisions and that way i don't live with any guilt at all um, about what I eat. I have a touchy relationship or have had a touchy relationship in the past with food and weight. Um, and, and I know that that is like culturally, you know, it's, it's important too. So like, I like that. I like that intuitive idea that you're talking about. I mean, that's just really what it is. And that's, just, it seems simple, but it is, and that's the way it should be. Yeah. And, and another part of diet too, which I've read quite a bit about, um, the placebo effect of things like supplements and all that, um, I know when we first started working together, uh, I'd given you like my full list of supplements that I was taking all the different vitamins, magnesium, this and that, all these little things I thought were giving me an edge. And I think you put it, you were like, listen, if you think they're working for you, keep doing it. And there is a lot of research that shows just that effect of your placebo thinking that it does something can have a profound effect. So, um, uh, that's kind of how I look at the supplements and things like that added into your diet. If you think it's doing something good and it's working for you, go for it. If you don't and you think it's hogwash, don't do it. Hike your own hike. <laughs> yeah, but there's like there's there's kind of a a mix because obviously the placebo effect's good, but then also there's like a lot of supplements are un, unregulated, unproven. So if somebody's already not taking them, I already, I try to I don't want to mess somebody's head. But if they're not taking them, I'm like, hey, 
like this supplement proven to be ineffective like probably shouldn't take it. um <laughs> you know i don't know the, the supplements are a tricky thing but if you find something that works for you i say go ahead and do it you know sure and then uh one of the one of the few other questions that we got was um do you prioritize intensity like over mileage so what do you think about that oh uh so no like obviously so my training philosophy or, or my thoughts for most athletes that i coach is that um consistency over time is going to result in the most effective long-term you know this aerobic adaptation is one of the longest processes in the human body. Um, and so the more consistency you have over time is good. Too much high intensity results in injury. Uh, too much high intensity results in the lack of development of proper aerobic capacity and maybe overtraining of certain energy systems like the VO2 max or lactate, um, and then not have the aerobic base to support it. So I don't prioritize intensity over mileage, um, but it does depend on the athlete. Some athletes that I coach, do better um, with with a little bit higher intensity, and some do better with a little bit, um, you know, higher mileage and things like that. Uh, the average the average athlete that I coach, I would say that most of their heart rate, or not heart, I'm sorry, most of their, you know, training is is probably eighty to ninety percent um, at less than seventy percent or seventy five percent effort. Um, that's just proven to be sustainable. That's going to be the best metabolically, and that's going to be the best for injury. Yeah, so, like, how how would I know I'm doing too much? Well, I think your body will start to tell you. I mean, uh, you might know you're doing too much if you, you know, like, we've towed the line with Michael and, and you know, these aches and pains that are that are small, uh, you know, they whisper at first and they start to scream later. Uh, so being really in tune with your body and knowing that, like, you're, you know, what, what pain versus soreness is and things like that. But uh, typically, I mean, a good measure to see if you're, if you're doing enough or too much is look at your resting heart rate um you know like at times my resting heart rate tends to when i'm really fit tends to get down to 33 or 32 which is jeez dangerously <laughs> low yeah that's barely yeah. alive <laughs> yeah um and, and you know sometimes i'll notice that like my heart rate isn't even my resting heart rate isn't even hitting 40 if i've been kind of overtraining um it'd be like you know 39 40 when i know normally when i'm at my peak it's like 40 you know, 42 or uh, 32, 33. Um, it's gotten down as low as 29 before, but that frankly freaks me out a little bit. So, um, you know, like if it's anything over like the high thirties, I start to wonder if I'm doing too much and that's a good measure sometimes. Yeah. There's actually a really cool app that partners on to like your, Gar like your Garmin data or whatever kind of watch you use. It's called training peaks. And I'd read about it, um, that it, it has like a metric where it takes your heart rate and, and your intensity level and all that stuff and pretty much outputs this fatigue level. Um, so I signed up for it a couple weeks after I had injured, you know, found out about my hip this past year. And when it took all my previous data and output it, my fatigue score was above the dangerous level that week I got injured. So there definitely is something to heart rate uh, if, and looking at your fatigue level. Um, there's a lot of really cool technology out there that can help you gauge it. But also, as you said, your body does a really good job of telling when you're too sore or, or work too hard or too tired. Um, you should never feel like you're constantly kicking your own butt every time you're going out there for a workout. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's a good call out with that, with that technology. And yeah, you shouldn't just feel dead and run down all the time. Um, you know, that's, that's a good call out with that. I think that, um, 
you know, if you look at Garmin's like race predictor and VO2 max stuff, it's kind of funny. My, my VO2 max is a lab tested at 75.9. Um, my Garmin VO2 max, my watch currently says it's at 69. The, it, it sometimes gets as low as 66. Um, like it'll say like my heart rate to start the run was a hundred beats a minute for three, for three miles. And then it shot up to 212 beats a minute. Like, the risk-based heart rate is so inaccurate. So when, when my athletes come to me and say, uh, my watch says I should recover for 78 hours. And I'm like, you run easy. Like, oh, conversational, nine minutes a mile. I'm like, I'm like, do you feel tired? They're like, no. I'm like, it's because your risk-based heart monitor is trash. Or the, you know, I've had where my watch will predict that I'll run 13 or 14, 10 and a 5K. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to run 14, 10 and a 5K. And then I did a workout and I ran – 33 something in a, in a, for 10 K as part of a te- longer tempo run. And, and that was only as part of the workout. And then a few days later, my heart rate started doing that weird thing with the wrist based again. And it, my race predictor told me that I could run a 36 minute 10 K. And I'm like, well, I just ran 33, 28 or something. <laughs> so like, I wanted to smash my watch. So like technology is great. And I think that's a really good tool, but sometimes you have to be careful. It's not a, it's not a, a supplement for just listening to your body. Yeah. And it, it's something you taught me over our time working together, Mark, was really dialing in the runs that you're supposed to work hard, work hard. But then on those easy runs, you have to run that prescribed time. I think we were running into a problem in the beginning where I was overcompensating every run I went on. I felt like I had to go out there and crush every one. And you said, you know, pull it back. I, you know, you're supposed to be running this pace and you're running 30 seconds faster for every mile that's not the day to do that. So there's definitely that ad on the coaching side where, you know, your coach can do a good job of saying you are working too hard or you, or you need to pull back here and save it for the hard work days. Yeah. Uh, run your, you should run your easy runs easy and your hard runs. You should hammer them and, and, and hit the right uh, workout. I recently did a workout where it's supposed to be at marathon pace and a lot of the splits were like in the 520s, and I know realistically that's not my marathon pace. So I went back, and my coach said, hey, that's a great workout. And I was like, yeah, but I'm a little frustrated because I went too fast. Um, and so that stuff happened. You know, there's a group here in Dallas that I've trained with off and on, and they hammer all their runs all the time. And the problem is, is you spend too much time in, in kind of no man's land. You're not actually improving your lactate threshold. You're not doing any VO2 max work. But you're not actually running easy and getting those slow, aerobic, easy um, gains that you need to get because those slow aerobic runs, we've talked about this a million times, but they, they improve, you know, mitochondrial activity. They improve your capillary density within the muscle to get more blood to the muscle. They help you burn fat to fuel more efficiently. They help body composition. They help your muscles and tendons get used to the, the strain of, of, you know, running higher mileage. Those are really important, but if you train too fast, you're not slow enough to do that, but you're not fast enough to do the other things, and you're not really doing much. You're not maximizing your time, and you're increasing your rate of injury for no reason. Uh, it's high risk and no reward at all. So, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good call out there too, Michael. That was something we need to dial back, and I do that frequently with my athletes. Rarely do I need to go faster. So. For sure. So what do you think is, like, the biggest challenge as a coach? The, okay, so the biggest challenge, well, this that's probably a, three, a, a three-pronger. a um, three So, one, the, the biggest challenge for me is when I see an athlete get injured. Um, you know, I talked about the consistency over time thing. Typically, athletes, uh, in you know, endurance athletes, 80% of them get injured, you know, a, a major injury once a year, I think the science shows. Um, the number's close to 30 to 40% uh, of the athletes that I coach, but it still crushes me when they get injured. Um, we were, you know, Pat, you and I both know Molly, and 
and Mike, you, you might know her. Michael, you might know her as well. Um, but she recently uh, re-injured herself from some injuries she had. She was a national champion. It's awful. I mean, as I know, yeah. I know people experience injury all the time, and it's just – it is a, a nightmare. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. So, for me, that, that was heartbreaking to see her and, and other athletes go through that or – or Ryan had to get surgery, you know, because uh, of an issue that he had. So it's hard for me to see that because I know how much they love, they love, uh, they love what they're doing. And um, so that's really hard. Another thing that's really tough is when the athletes won't listen to me. Um, <laughs> they pay me their money and you're at a crossroads, right? Because they're like, well, I want to do more. And I'm like, but you knew my philosophy before you signed on and you asked me to help you, you know? Yeah. Um, so then what happens is typically they do too much and they get injured, they get burnt out. And I don't want to be like, see, I told you that that's kind of an asshole thing to do, frankly. Um, but I'm just like, this could have all been avoided if we just stuck to the plan. So I, I'm a lot more rigid now in, in what I do and what I believe in. And I believe it's for the best of the athletes, but they're paying me to do my job. Sometimes my job is to tell them no. Um, and then the third thing is I've, been lucky enough to coach since I've been a personal trainer. I've coached thousands of athletes. I've been lucky enough to cut, you know, to coach hundreds of athletes under my current platform. And it always hurts the worst when they can't be coached anymore. Um, and it, it's not really ever for money because like, Hey, I can't afford it. And I'm like, well, then we're going to make arrangements to, to make it work. And we're not going to worry about the money. Um, but it's like something will happen, you know, and maybe they're embarrassed to tell you that they can't afford it anymore. Or maybe something like that. And then they just say, They'll send you like an email. Like you, you talk to them. They tell you about their kids, their husband, you know, their their husband. They tell you about all these things, and like they call you crying because they're so excited about races, and like you're this huge part of their life. And then they'll send you an email saying, "I'm not continuing the services moving forward. Thank you." And it's like, and it's probably because it's a really hard conversation for them too. But it, it makes me feel like like shit. Like I'm not even human. Right. You know. Right. They're just like, you're no longer of service to me. Thank you. Bye. And like it, it kind of sucks because you become such a big part of their life. Um, and it, it sucks that it ends that way. Right. Not all of them. Most end that way, but the ones that do that, that hurts me the worst, the hardest. Right. Wow. Those, those first two are very easy to understand. And that third one is a component I would have never thought of that. That's got to have quite an effect. Yeah. I mean, you're like, they're like, Hey, uh, I'm, I'm coming to this race. Or I'm going to this race and you know, wherever. Chicago, it's not far from you. Can you can you come? Like it, it'd be really cool to see you. Like we'd love, you know, like you're you're like invited in to be a part of their family. Like if you're traveling, they like want you to stay with them. And all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, they can't afford like coaching, or um, they're going to do something else. Maybe they're going to do CrossFit instead. And they're like, which I encourage if somebody wants to make changes to do it. And then they're just like, you know, it'll be a two word or a two two sentence thing, and they're just like, so bye. And you're just like, oh. Cool. Business is business, but that's the way it goes. Right. So, going kind of the opposite question, what is like uh, your proudest moment as a coach? So that's hard to, my as a coach, yeah. So that's that's hard to. um, Mark, you don't you don't have to say you don't have to say something with me in it, Mark, just because I'm on here with you. Um, So you're free to say anything. The time when, when I was at a work meeting and you called me crying because you accomplished your goal and I could hear Meredith in the background and I, and like, I could hear the passion and the excitement that you have, like that actually moved me to tears. That's like, that's one of my proudest moments for sure. But I'm so proud of all of them. Um, I think the proudest, this is going to sound like a generic answer, but the proudest thing, the proudest moment I have is the fact that all of us together have created this 
uh, run strong team um, and that we all work together as a community um, to, to encourage each other. And, and it's built this like thing that's just so much more than a brand. And it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Like that's the thing I'm proudest of, you know? Yeah. And that's like the, that's like one of the coolest things. And like the, like the, the run strong like facebook group where everyone is like you know great job you crushed it and like when you when you when people get shouted out or people hey there's a race this weekend and people are like hey good luck in your race and all this stuff and it's like that's to me like one of the best things that i can be a part of it's just like everything uplifting each other and being encouraging and then being on this platform to like help those people achieve their goals is fucking so sweet yeah, I like that. Like, Ashley was going to do her first 50 mile last year, and so was uh, Matt, and so was Andrew. And then they all combined together, and they all they all uh, exchanged information or whatever, and they all had a text group going with themselves. Like, I think that's so, that's so cool. I would like more people to be involved in the Facebook thing because it's pretty active. But, like, we have over 50 active people who are currently, you know, being coached or part of the part of the team there. And, like, there should be more encouragement. So I'm going to try to rile that up. But, yeah, it is that is a really cool component. Well, well mean, you got me fired up, Mark. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be more active on the Facebook group. I'm going to get on there. You're right. You're an admin. Right. You're an admin. Because we have this uh, – <laughs> I, I feel like we have this, like, very, very, like, rare thing where all these people from all over the, the country, you know, that are communicating with each other, and they all have, like, a common, like, common mindset. And it's, it's, so, it's so fucking cool that people can get along and uplift each other like that because that, that's what the human race is, like, all about. Yeah, it's a tribe, and it's it's it's, a, it's, a, it's tribalism for a positive thing, and it's like one thing, and like there are there are men, women, uh, all different nationalities and races from all walks of life in there, from all corners of the earth, and I think that's really cool. So that's probably the thing I'm proudest of. And one of my clients, Leah, said, um, "You know, you did this." Like she said to me, it was probably over a year ago now, more than that. And she said, this is like you did this this so cool and like i didn't do it we all did it but like that was that was such a cool moment of realization like we did something special for sure and i think um i kind of want to like i kind of want to end on that note so if you could like recap this last hour or so what do you what do you would you say um i would say that being a strong athlete um means being physically strong uh, being mentally strong, um, but also being strong enough to prioritize your health and well-being above all else. Um, so when you're well-rounded, you got to think about not just how well you're running, not how well you're weight training, but how well your your mental and physical uh, life is going. And I think that's really important. And I think that's something that we do as a group that sets people apart. Uh, so so that's really big. I think too. Um, you know, nutrition is super important, um, but not getting hop, hung up on it, as Michael said, and, and just keeping it simple is a, is, is a great philosophy. Um, and realizing that um, there, there, is, there, is a, there is a ideal race weight for everybody, but it doesn't mean it's low and, and to the bottom. And, and weight isn't important. Your number on a scale doesn't define you. What defines you is, is the way that you treat other people, honestly. But uh, from a performance standpoint, is that you're able to keep doing what you love, injury-free and healthy. Uh, so if you if you get too caught up on the nutrition and, and develop some type of uh, eating disorder, as I did uh, prior, you know, it, it can take you down a dark road. So that's really important. And then, uh, you know, above all else, if you're 
if you're looking for a coach, don't don't go to a coach that's going to limit your communication. Prioritize yourself as an athlete. You're important. You are worthy enough. It doesn't matter what times you run. It doesn't matter. None of these things matter. Um, somebody said, hey, like, you treated me like I was an elite athlete. And, like, to me, they are an elite athlete. Like, I, every, every athlete I coach is an elite athlete, whether they run 30 minutes in the 5K or they run 15 or, or, or lower in the 5K. Um, they're elite athletes because their body and performance is important to them, and they're no different than anybody else. I have, you know, another challenge is that I have a lot of people that reach out to me, and they're like, hey, you know, I've been following you for months, but I didn't want to reach out because I didn't think that you would, like, coach somebody like me. Like, I, that is the most disheartening thing because I try to be super inclusive and yeah, so sure. just know that when you're looking for a coach, you are enough, and you deserve to be treated like it. Absolutely. That is a beautiful spot to end on this, uh, this episode. Yeah. Really well said, Mark. Great wrap up. Awesome. Awesome content today. Yeah. Thank you guys for uh, letting me get on here and ramble a little bit. I have some exciting things coming up that I want to talk about uh, for the podcast. Sure. Um, one is obviously the next episode we're going to have, we're going to have Joshua Stevens back on for part two, um, kind of death Valley to the Leadville you know, type of situation. We're going to get the, the part two of that, which is what, you know, a lot of people have been waiting for. A lot of people have been asking about it. Uh, so that's really big. We're going to have Derek York on, uh, who I think is a tremendous athlete. Um, I believe his Instagram is York fit. I don't have it in front of me right now, but he is, I think he ran 229 in the marathon off of 35 miles a week or 30 miles a week. Only, God damn. Which is <laughs> wow. Absolutely insane. And you want to talk about a well-rounded athlete. He's a well-rounded athlete. He's strong and he's fast. Um, and then I don't know what else we got on the uh, on the agenda for podcast, but uh, I'm going to be tomorrow taking a blood test or inside tracker. Um, so I'm going to get my results in about a week or so, and that will really answer a lot of my nutritional questions and see where I'm at because it's, it's the ultimate test of measuring, you know, a bunch of different biomarkers, and it will give me a good idea of where I'm at, what I can do to improve my performance. Uh, leading into the spring. Definitely. Love that. That's just it for me. You guys got anything good or exciting for you guys? <laughs> Nothing too exciting. Just uh, been putting the miles back on, uh, in the week since I can, since I can run now. So I'm slowly getting there and I'm, and I'm going to be in, going to be in Dallas uh, the first week of December. So I get to see um, my good buddy, Mark. I'm going to hopefully do some uh, running with him, and can't wait for that. It's going to be well needed in this fucking cold dead winter of Michigan. <laughs> Yeah, 75 and sunny here the last two days. Place. Michael, you're going to be in Dallas too soon, right? Yeah, yeah. I'll be in Dallas uh, at the end of November. I'll be out there for a work conference. So, yeah, I think we're going to hook up, uh, hang out, spend some time with uh, you, Brittany, and the baby, and go for a run, have some fun. Um, but, yeah, we're just we're getting settled here, here in uh, Rio Rancho, New Mexico. We moved into our house, so I'm getting to know the trails that are around here really well enjoying the runs, keep getting used to the altitude. And we're going to have to talk soon about our Boston plan because that's creeping up on us. Almost time, almost time to go. Yeah, so yeah, I think buddy. Uh, all in all, this is cool for me because uh, aside from just training and trying to be the best uh, athlete I can be, I got my two best friends coming to town in the week. So oh, yeah. <laughs> and my mom oh. and grandma are coming out between you two. So – the love is real. Oh. That's very cool. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right, All right gentlemen. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. If you have any questions, as always, you can find us on Instagram. You can find me at Bottenhorn Running um, and at my website, www.markbottenhorn.com. 
And uh, Michael, where can they find you? Uh, I'm at Son of Raging Joe on Instagram. All right, you can find me at Pat X Gates on Instagram. All righty. Well, until next time, everybody, stay strong. We would like to thank everyone for tuning in today's episode. If you can, please rate us on iTunes. You can find me on Instagram at PatXGates. You can find me on Instagram at Running. You can also find me on my website, www.markbottenhorn.com. Until next time, stay strong. <laughs>